The Jericho Network on Westwood One. Podcast One presents Rock Talk, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond. All the rockers, all the stories. This is incredible. Now, now, here's your host, respected rock journalist, Mitch LaFond. Welcome to another episode of Rock Talk. I am your host, Mitch LaFond, and this is the very, very special uh, Christmas edition, uh, Christmas 2017, of course, if you are checking out this podcast, let's say in the summer, uh, it won't be Christmas time, but hey, uh, I've got some great stuff for you. Michael Sweet of Striper Sweet Lynch and all kinds of other stuff. Stuart Smith of Heaven and Earth. And I finish it with Stacy Blades, who some of you or most of you would know from having played with L.A. Guns for about a decade and now doing the Bobby Blotzer rat thing and his new band as well, and I'll, I'll tell you all about that in a minute. And, uh, you know, I'm going to offer you a, a, a gift. Um, Mark Striegel, who is a podcaster in his own right, and he runs uh, two websites, uh, TalkingMetal.com, but he's actually slowly converting that into TalkingRock.net. Him and I, we get together every week, and we put together a little five- to seven-minute segment uh, called The Mitch and Mark Show, and we throw that up on YouTube, on, uh, my, on my YouTube and on his YouTube. You can find it on both. And you can also find it at uh, TalkingRock.net. Uh, but we had a discussion recently about KISS. Um, should they make a new album? Because Paul Stanley had said, well, you know, over the, the last, you know, since about uh, two, three years... Uh, the, the the question's been coming up. Gene Simmons has said, no, I don't want to do it. And then he said, well, we've been writing some song ideas. And Paul Stanley said, no, I didn't want to do it. And then he said, eh, I'm getting, I've been getting the itch to do it. And then he said recently uh, on the Kiss Cruise um, that it would have to be something different. So Mark and I decided to uh, take that topic and take those questions and have a little chat about it. So as part of the rock talk uh, segment of the show. Let me start with that conversation. Very short again. These things are five to seven minutes in length. And then right after that, uh, I will come back and we will get right in to uh, Michael Sweet of Striper. So here is Mark and Mitch, the Mark and Mitch show, Talking Kiss. So I want to talk Kiss with you because yes. recently Paul Stanley has said on the uh, Kiss Cruise that, in fact, back in August, he had first said that he was enticed about the idea of making a new album. And then on the Kiss Cruise, he took it further and said, if they do a new Kiss album, it would have to be something completely different. In between, Gene Simmons has said that writing has taken place. And as yeah. far back as 2013, they said that they had a new song called Your Wish Is My Command, which would be the next rock and roll all night, so another big right. anthem. So... Here's the thing. Kiss, Kiss has done a lot of albums, over 20. They've, they've covered everything. They've done Unplugged. They've done live albums. Paul says they don't want to do Son of Monster. They don't want to do Son of Sonic Boom. So what would you like to see? First of all, do you think that Kiss should make another album, or is it past date? You know, I almost feel like it would be great to get one more record out of this band. Uh, I, I loved Monster. I love Sonic Boom. Are they records that I go back to, like I go back to Rock and Roll, you know, uh, All Over or Destroyer or Love Gun? No, I don't. But I, when they came out, they got a lot of 
mileage, you know, for a month or two from me. I really enjoyed them. And I would love another record just like those two. However, I see what Paul's saying. It's it's, uh, you know, if they're going to do something, it really does need to be something special. And if this were a final record by Kiss, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff they could do. I mean, maybe it's going back, doing some songs with Ezrin, you know, Eddie Kramer, bringing people back that that have been a maybe even band members that have been a, a, a part of the Kiss family through the years and doing so, something well, really, really special, first, too. Yeah. Do, do you want them to make sort of, let's say, 12 new songs, or do you want them to go back and mine the vaults and take songs like Ain't None of Your Business and Smoke and all these sort of demos that have been lying around and just re-record them, not release the demos, but re-record right. them with Tommy and Eric, or is it I want 12 new songs like Your Wish Is My Command. Where, where do we start there? Is it new songs or Mind the Vault, sort of like what um, Van Halen did with A Different Kind of Truth? You know, that, that's an interesting comparison. Uh, I, I think, you know, we know that this, as far as I know, this uh, Your Wish Is My Command is is new, something that it sounds like they wrote it, at least, you know, probably in 2012, 2013, since, since the last record. Uh, why? Yeah, I think I think some new songs, but I think that's a great idea to go back and mine the vaults and deliver songs re-recorded that sound fresh with a great 2018 production. And, uh, you know, sure. I mean, because like Van Halen, when they went back and re-released those those songs that, that had been sitting in the vault, they wrote those songs when they still had the fire in their belly. And and I think you could hear that on, on the record. Um, yeah, I think that's a great idea. Maybe a combo. Some new songs, but but also, yeah, going back, back. mining, mining the vaults. And, uh, you know, I don't. I don't want to hear any songs re-recorded that have been on previous records. To me, that would be boring. But sure, demos that have never officially been released, that's a great idea. Yeah, I think, th- I think that would be cool. Now, if it would be the last record, and, yeah. we're t- and you mentioned bringing back different producers, but what about different players to sort of yeah. make it a celebration? And I'm not saying have Ace Fraley do seven cuts or whatever. Have Ace do one solo. Bring in Bruce right. Kulik and do a solo. If you can, you know, put up with a, with Vinnie Vincent, you know, or do you want to just say, okay, listen, it's a celebration of Kiss. Here we are, and it's, it's the four guys, and that's that. Where, where would you want to go with that? Bring in the guys or f- keep it to the four? Uh, I would say absolutely bring in the guys. I mean, Vinnie Vincent seems like a long shot to me. Um, however, Ace, I mean, we know Paul and, and Gene are, are once again – on, on sounds like great terms with Ace, it, that would be amazing. I mean, they they did work with him on his his records, or at least Gene has on this this upcoming record. Uh, Paul did the uh, the free cover um, with Ace a, a year ago or two. That would be great. I think that would be really special for the fans. Um, definitely be something different, like like Paul is talking about. And you know, we spoke about Bruce and, and Bob Kulik on a previous uh, episode of this show. Get those guys back. I mean, they, they can still deliver the goods. They can still play. They both were such an important part of of history, if you will. Those are those are three people I could see coming back to do some guest spots. And of course, yeah, we want Tommy. We want we want Eric on the drums. Uh, be great. What, yeah, what I would ahead. really like with with Tommy and Eric is just let them play the way they would play. I I. I 
don't want to sound, uh, you know, disparaging, but I thought on Sonic Boom and on Monster, they right. were trying to get that Ace Frehley feel and they were trying mm-hmm. to get the Peter Chris feel, which is fine. But I would like to hear Tommy play like he did in Black and Blue. And I would like to hear Eric play like he did with Black Sabbath and Brian May and all these other bands. Alice, Just let him yeah. be who he is. I think that would be interesting. Now, another possibility is, you know, Kiss has never done a covers album. They did a cover song. Right. They covered uh, Do You Remember Rock and Roll Radio by the Ramones back in the day. Would would you at all be interested, or do you think fans would at all be interested in 12 or 15 songs of Kiss covering whatever, the Beatles and, and the Rolling Stones and, and Van Morrison or whatever? I mean, would a, would a covers album be a good next album for Kiss? Uh, for me personally, no. I mean, I, I'm interested. Sure, I'm interested in anything Kiss does, but I think there's, like you mentioned, there's a lot of great stuff that still was never officially released and, and could be re-recorded and taken out of that demo stage. Um, I, yeah, covers are cool, but a whole album remember, of covers. Paul, Paul um, says uh, that it has to be something different. So right. that that's something they've never done. Yeah, um, and that would be something different. It would be something I would pick up. But, um, I mean, you go back to the last, the Origins album by Ace. I, I, I found that 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 good but i you know wasn't nearly as excited for that as i as i was for like anomaly or or wow. space invader i mean it's just I, the idea of a covers record to me isn't uh isn't that exciting that's just me personally i i think they could offer so much more i mean we know they have this this song this newer song your wish is my command we know that there's uh we'll get right back to that conversation after we have a little chat with uh, michael sweet but uh, if you want to hear the whole chat uninterrupted you can also check us out on youtube the mark and mitch show and at talkingrock.net but uh michael sweet let's get over to him great guy by the way love michael love interviewing michael just always always very very pleasant uh the band has recruited Firehouse, or former Firehouse bassist Perry Richardson, and are prepping a new album, and have all kinds of great plans for 2018. There is, of course, Sweet and Lynch that have a new album that that you should definitely, definitely check out. And Michael Sweet, because more is always better, uh, has put out a DVD called Soul, Songs and Stories from a Life in Music. And, and... There's always an and with Michael, by the way, which you got to love. I love artists that are productive. But uh, And uh, Striper is working on a Striper movie documentary telling you all the ins and outs of the band. So uh, without further ado, uh, I will give you Michael Sweet and just remind you that right after this interview, we'll go into a commercial. We'll come back with the second part of the Kiss Conversation with Mark Striegel. And uh, I will move along to Heaven and Earth uh, guitarist Stuart Smith. So lots to look forward to, and then hang around at the end for Stacy Blades. But uh, here you go. Here is the one, the only, Striper Frontman. And yes, I shout. I, I shouted that. Striper Frontman, uh, Michael Sweet. There you go. Ta-da! Here's Michael. We are speaking with Michael Sweet of Striper, Sweet and Lynch, and just... An all-around good guy. Good day, Michael. Pleasure to speak with you. Mitch, how you doing, buddy? It's great to speak with <laughs> you as well. And I, uh, 
am sorry to hear that you're a little under the weather. You yeah. got some kind of a cold thing going on, huh? Well, it's a man cold, and and as a man, I think we all understand that that is it's a serious condition. It is absolutely. Yes. <laughs> but you know what? Yeah, women uh, women's cold women's colds aren't as bad, are they? <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to have one of those. No. But uh, it's, it's, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I think you, I, I'm from the school of you suck it up, buttercup, and you keep moving forward. But, uh, hey. Yeah, my you, voice, you have to. My voice is a little to. t- tough, and, and there you go. But say uh, la vie. Say la vie. Um, Absolutely. So much to talk about in the world of Michael Sweet. Uh, where should we start? Do you want to start at um, the soul songs and stories for a life in music, or shall we start at Sweet and Lynch, or shall we start with... Uh, welcoming a new bass player. Where, where, where would you like to to begin? Oh man, well, I, I guess we could start with uh, you know, probably the most uh, you know timely and relevant and important news, which would be the the welcoming of a new bass player, Perry Richardson. Um, yeah, that's great. We, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where you know I don't think. Many people expected it. Maybe a few did because I, I saw before we made the announcement. I saw a few people predict or, or mention Perry, uh, but most people were talking about guys like you know uh, Rudy Sarzo and Sean McNabb and uh, of course uh, James Lomenzo because I I work with James on the Sweet and Lynch stuff and so those were just kind of the go tos and in which they're all fantastic bass players and fantastic guys. Uh, but not many people would have uh, assumed that it was going to be Perry. And when we made the announcement, I think it took people by surprise. And a lot of people after the fact said, oh, wow, I, I never thought of that. But absolutely, that makes perfect sense. And it really does. Perry obviously uh, comes from the band Firehouse. Everybody knows that. And if you recall um, the Firehouse early years, you know, you you remember how incredible he played, how incredible he sang and how incredible he looked, you know, and he just was kind of the total package and he still is, you know, Perry still has his hair. Uh, he still sings fantastic. He still plays fantastic. And the most important part of it all, as important as all those things are, is he's, he's a great human being. And, you know, Striper really needs harmony uh, no, no pun intended, but we really need harmony within the band and within the camp. Uh, we've had a, a tough couple of years and Perry brings that into this band. He, when he comes in the room, he's smiling, he lights it up. He's got a lot of joy in his heart and he, he you know, he exudes that, that it just comes out and, uh, he's really a, a, an incredible guy. And we need that. We've needed that for a while. And you know what? He he brings that. So he's truly over and above the complete package. And we're thrilled to have him. Uh, it's a complete honor to have him. And we can't wait to get out on the road with Perry and, and show people what we're all about with, with Perry and the band. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, too. And, and I was under the impression, though, that when he left Firehouse, he had sort of burnt out on the music business and just wanted to sort of stay at home. Was there a sense of that? Was there, is that a, a truth that, as you know, as we get older, things change anyway, but is he, is he up for the challenges of a new, new record and, and on the road and just let's get going? Is he, I mean, he must be thrilled, right? 
I mean, yeah, I would say absolutely. Um, you'd have to, you know, interview him and, and get the reasons why he left Firehouse. I, I don't really know. I've heard some stuff. I've talked to him about a few things, but, you know, I think it was just a situation where it was possibly burnout and he wanted to do something different or take some time away from it all. Um, and then he went on to uh, pursue and be very successful at a career in country music. And he played with uh, Trace Atkins uh, at a very high level, and he played uh, with Craig Morgan. And as far as I know, I think he just wrapped up Craig Morgan shows just uh, recently, in the past few weeks. But, um, you know, he did very well and, and played to big crowds and did that whole thing. He had kept his hair through it all, looked like the rock dude up there doing country, and which is really cool, which is kind of how it is now anyway. you know. And, and most, it's nice most... to see him back in a rock band. I mean, as a rock fan... Yeah. Those early Firehouse albums, uh, you know, say whatever you want to say, but musically they were spot on. Uh, the harmonies were, the vocals were, every, I mean, they were just well put together albums. So, you know, good Absolutely. to have them aboard. And, uh, well, in fact, yeah. so, so let's just lead from there. Does that mean that at some point Striper is going to head back into the studio and make a new album with him? Or is, is it just going to be on the road for now and new album eventually? What new album new album eventually i mean the thing that was uh, impossible at the moment uh for us to have perry come and, and record was he was he had another schedule going and we were on schedule and we you know we couldn't change our schedules to fit the mark so you know but for sure perry perry is a very competent uh amazing player um yeah, I've heard people comment about, oh, yeah, he plays with the pick. You know, it, well, he does play with the pick, but he also plays with his fingers. He goes back and forth between the two during a song, even, which is really cool. It, it's it's interesting to watch him do that. We were rehearsing with him, and he did that on a song, and I said, wow, dude, that's, that's interesting, because he has a certain technique of doing it. Um, and obviously, his vocals, we can't wait to get his vocals on an album. He really is a great singer. I mean, we he came in, he learned five songs, and we said, all right, here's what we sing. Boom, go. And he started singing. And it was like, yep, that's it. <laughs> you know, perfect. Sounds like, it sounds like a bird, you know, sounds like a choir. Uh, and then we did the next song, Lip, go sing. And, and there it was again, he's got this perfect pitch thing and just nails the part. So he's really a great, great find. Yeah, he really is. All right. So let, let's, let's, um, by the way, just quickly, uh, thank, thanks, uh, Skype for having a cough button on, <laughs> on this thing. Oh. <laughs> oh my Lord. So let, let's get over to the DVD soul song and stories from a life in music. Um, acoustic performances, which you are known for and have done great in the past. You, you, I think you've done a cover of living on a prayer, right? That I've seen on YouTube. Yeah, I do a cover of that on Which occasion, is... and I've done other covers as well. Uh, Bad Company. Uh, I've done some covers of, uh, oh gosh, who else? Uh, Sticks, Boston, of course. But yeah, yeah, I like to throw those in occasionally. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to see you do Dream On, by the way, by Aerosmith. I think you would nail that perfectly. But let's but let's talk about this performance. Um, talk to me about putting it together and, and just sort of wanting to get a product out there that just has you stripped back, you voice, no hiding behind a bass amp, no hiding behind the drummer, just you out there. Well, you know, it, it was really the idea of, um, 
my wife, Lisa, and uh, the director and producer, uh, Andrew Joyce is his name. And if you ever caught any of the 30th anniversary Striper shows and you saw that video pre-show, that's the video that Andrew put together. He's really a brilliant uh, cinematographer, director, producer. He's amazing. And we're actually, we've actually hired him. We like him so much. We've hired him to do the Striper documentary as well that we're going to be working on for the next few years. We've already begun working on, but um, so it was their idea to, to capture this moment in time at the narrow center in fall river mass, an acoustic set. Some people might think, ah, that's boring. And you know what? It, the, the odd thing is it's not, it, it's really cool seeing the songs in their original format, because not a lot of people know this, but the way I write songs is just on a guitar, you know, uh, and, and often and mostly an acoustic guitar. So that's how they began and originated. And when you hear them in that format and you realize, wow, this is how they began. And it's really stripped down, as you said, and there's something to be said for that. And <clears throat> it's really cool. And then on top of it, of the show, the 11 or 12 songs that are in the actual DVD, um, there's a bunch of interview footage, new interview footage of me telling the story behind each song, which is really interesting. A lot of stuff people don't know about. And then there's also some rare footage of Striper live. Which is and cool. It's very cool. And, and, and by I, the it, way, that's the mark of a great song. I'm trying to think who said, it might have been Brian Adams who said that a great song is the one that you can just play on an acoustic guitar that that's the mark of a great song when it just it still holds up it's fine to do all kinds of studio tricks but a real great song like to hell with the devil or honestly are the ones where you just you in a voice and a guitar and it still is a powerful message that's absolutely and <clears throat> there's no question and and the flip side of that coin is there are some that don't translate to acoustic guitar so much and then you when you when you break it down yeah you're right those are the songs that were b-sides or might not be as you know hit oriented as calling on you or all for one or tell the devil or honestly or you know and you're absolutely right about that those work and translate so well to acoustic but others don't and it is interesting to to view it that way and I think Brian Adams nailed it and hit the hit the bullseye with that statement that it's so true yeah oh it really is um now you quickly you mentioned the uh the Striper documentary that's going to be made. First question, of course, is will Richard Christie <laughs> from the Howard Stern show be involved <laughs> and, since he's a huge, huge fan? But, but uh, that sort of inside joke aside, um, when, when is this documentary going to be uh, released and, and, and what are we sort of doing? It is it going to be warts and all? Is it going to be the, the, the sort of the, the PG version? How, how are we going to assemble this? Well, it's going to be very honest. Okay. Uh, for sure, but at the same time, we're not going to uh, go towards the drama street. We're going to try to to go to the right and and go down the no drama street and no drama road, I should say. Uh, you know, remember all the uh, MTV <clears throat> behind the music videos? They were documentaries. They were always about drama. You know, they were great. I loved them. I watched them, and I enjoyed every one of them. <clears throat> but it always got into the drama. The he said, she said stuff. We're not going to go there on this. <clears throat> it's going to be more about... A celebration the, of the band? The celebration of the band, okay. the lives that were affected by the band, 
uh, talking to, uh, you know, stars and celebrities who are fans that you might not expect. And people go, what? He was a fan. I never knew that, you know, things like that. There's going to be a lot of that. Uh, talking to people who were drug addicts or alcoholics who are now pastors or doctors or lawyers or have gone on and really turned their lives around. You know, it's going to, it's going to be rooted more in that, but it's also going to show lots of home footage no one's ever seen. We've got tons of that stuff. Uh, we've even got like footage of Rob Halford coming up and, and doing Breaking the Law with us uh, in Toronto. <clears throat> so, uh, excuse me, not in Toronto, in, uh, I think, believe it was Vancouver. But anyway, we've got all kinds of really cool footage that people, that's going to make people go, you got to be kidding me. I have to see this. It's going to be a fantastic documentary and people will be blown away. Yeah. And by the way, just, just from my perspective, as a fan or as a journalist, I see Striper doing a documentary. That's more a celebration of the band and the music rather than one of these nasty, yeah. because I, I just don't see Striper as being this nasty. I mean, I'm sure you've had your moments, but to me that would, that would come off as disingenuous if it was a, a dirt filled kind of thing. So, so a celebration of, of the band and the music and the members, uh, every one of them to me seems like the right, the right thing to do. Um, I agree. I, yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. And you know, it's, it's interesting just to touch on that really quickly the nasty versus the not-so-nasty or not-nasty thing. It, when a band like Striper <clears throat> is open, like I'm very open, and, and, I, and when I do interviews and people ask me questions, I answer the questions. I just kind of, it just comes out, because that's, that's how I am as a person in real life. Um, it gets me into trouble a lot. And I think most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time it's based on people don't expect me to, to be so open and to just give my opinion. They expect me to just kind of be the choir boy and, and, and keep my mouth closed and, and always be nice. And, you know, I, I made a vow to be open and be honest and, and, and always tell the truth when, when asked questions. And, uh, you know, it, it gets me, like, it's, like I said, it gets me in trouble for sure, as you see from time to time. But we certainly want to make the documentary less of that. We don't want it to be about that where, Oh yeah, let me tell you this story or oh, I'm going to be honest and tell you what really happened. You know, we just want to keep it positive and encouraging and uplifting and inspiring. That's the important thing for us. Yeah. And, and, and that's what seems to make sense. Now, speaking of inspiring, uh, the last album by Sweet and Lynch unified, certainly inspiring, just a great slice of rock and roll. Um, where, where do we go from here with the band? You've done one album that came out of nowhere and people went, oh, okay. And then, you know, only to rise. And then of course everybody said, you have to do a second one. So you did unified. Right. Um, where does that put us in terms, because the project has grown beyond just, you know, here's frontiers record throwing two guys together. It's grown into fans have a great passion for these two albums. So do we go for a third album? Do we actually take this out on the road and do a tour? Do we maybe do a striper, lynch mob tour with a you know a jam at the end like how how do we sort of move this forward and, and give the fans a little bit of this live and you know well i mean <clears throat> we're at an interesting crossroads uh sweet and lynch george and i with the fact that we put out two albums and <clears throat> the pressure of the third album how it's going to be when it's going to be <clears throat> um 
it, it remains to be seen. I don't know. Excuse me. Now I need a cop button. <clears throat> there we go. <clears throat> what a day we're having, right? <clears throat> yeah, I'm all congested now myself. But <laughs> it it remains to be seen. I, I don't know. George is really very busy. And he's got lots of projects going on. They just announced another another thing um, with, uh, with Jeff the Pilsen. original. Yeah. Right, right. And, 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 and interestingly enough, um, you know, I, I was, I was talking to them about doing that a few years back and, um, and for whatever reason they're, they're doing something different and that's fine. I get it. But there's so many projects going on. And sometimes I think, well, you know, is there going to be time for another Sweet and Lynch album? Is there going to be time for Sweet and Lynch to tour? George is very uh, obviously and rightfully so engaged with uh, Lynch Mob, very busy with that. That's his baby. I get it. Um, but I do think that the Sweet and Lynch albums, I don't know, and this would be a question for George, and, and I don't want to answer for him, but just my... Uh, opinion that could be possible i don't know if george necessarily took or thought i should say thought that the sweet and lynch albums would make the noise that they've made i think he thought they'd be good and you know expected them to turn out pretty cool and whatnot but when he finally heard the final product because he said this to me on the phone when he heard the first album he said you know, he, he used like, you know, 20 expletives that start with F and and just said, wow, I can't I can't believe how this sounds. This is amazing. I think he was taken aback by it. And now that it's made some noise, quite quite a bit of noise, it did very well. They were both in today's music world, very successful. People like them. I, you know, I don't know if he knows what to do with that because uh, he's very busy. I'm busy, too. I don't know that I'm quite as busy as George. I try to choose, pick and choose my battles and not take on as much as George. I still take on a lot. But uh, I certainly would make the time to go and do some Sweet and Lynch touring. I think it's very important. What's the point of making an album and it does well and then you don't go tour or do any shows? And it's it That's really sad and uh, it's not fair to the fans, I don't think. Yeah, I agree. Do, do you think... Let's say George is too busy, and he's got, of course, the new project here, which I'm looking up. It's uh, called Superstroke with uh, Mick Brown, Jeff Pilsen, and Robert Mason from Warrant. But mm -hmm. would you at some point see yourself saying, okay, George is busy, he can't tour, but these songs need to be delivered live? And I'm not suggesting you throw them in a striper set list because they don't belong there, but maybe do some some club shows or open up, you know, open up for, you know, just somehow get them to the fans in yeah, some way, shape or I form. Mean, absolutely. And I've talked, I've gone to George and I've suggested that, uh, and he seemed pretty excited about it at the time, but it just hasn't seemed to transpire and, and, and work out yet. But I suggested, uh, Sweet and Lynch opening for Striper and then, uh, excuse me, uh, Lynch mob opening for Striper and then Sweet and Lynch, since we're going to both be out there doing a short, Sweden Lynch set before Lynch Mob. So, uh, you know, there, there's ways we could do it. You always have to come down to, is it affordable? You know, a, a buyer, a promoter might not want to buy both uh, Lynch Mob and Striper and or Sweden Lynch and Striper because everybody has to get paid something for doing it. 
and he may not want to shell out that extra money, the extra, you know, five grand or two grand or eight grand or whatever it is to make it happen. He may not, he may say no. As a, as a matter of fact, most likely they will say no. So it makes it difficult, if not downright impossible to, to make that happen. Uh, another idea I have, I can go and tap, um, Steve Lynch of Autograph, and it could still be Sweet and Lynch. <laughs> By the way, that that would be that would be great in the sense that uh, Steve <laughs> Steve Steve is is a great guitarist and of course a great vocalist and and uh, he does. And talk he's a about, great guy. Oh man, man, he's he what a sweetheart, huh? Yeah, a load of fun. And and my favorite thing about him is is the time he tells me around Creatures of the Night when Kiss called him and said, "Would you join the band?" And he said, "Yeah, I'm I'm busy." <laughs> <laughs> that that's the well listen uh autograph had just signed an album deal a three album deal and they were like well three album deal to do my own thing or be a hired gun mm, yeah i'm gonna go do my own thing um yeah yeah one side yeah, i love him every time our paths cross he's such a great guy all the guys in autograph are we have a history with those guys we did some shows with them back in the early days and they're sweethearts man they they are just they're one of those bands that's just the real deal. You know, they're just so humble and nice and, and so talented. Such a great band. Yeah, musically, just, just, you know, I have to say, I had never seen them uh, live until, I think it was last year, at the Brass Monkey in Ottawa. And oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I went because I sort of felt that I had an obligation to go see this band, and, and, and it was part of my musical upbringing that I had. They were so good. I mean, oh, just yeah. so, I went in there sort of, you know, like, okay, this is autograph, it'll be fun, and, you know, it'll be half an hour, you know, hours, yeah. and I was blown away. They were, they They're were great. Absolutely. And Randy Rand, the, uh, the bass player. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, and even the new vocal, anyway, it was just, it was, it was, I don't want to say surprising, because that sounds almost like being dismissive, but, but they really just like, whoa, Okay. You know, <laughs> they're they're a great. They're one. I I think I'll tell you this. I'll go a step further. Um, when we do festivals, many times we're on the bill with autograph and many other bands. But backstage, you can hear the different bands playing, and 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 trying to be nice. Uh, you know, sometimes you you can kind of hear like, Ooh, <laughs> you know. Uh, I'm not sure who that is, but woo, you know, and then you hear the bands that are like, Oh wow. Who's that? And, and on the, Oh wow. Who's that? I'll go out and from the side stage and watch. And many times when I say, Oh wow, who's that? And I go to the side stage and watch it's autograph. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just, just, they're one of those bands from a distance, your ear catches and goes, they're really great. Uh, oh, I agree. Fully agreed. Uh, speaking of really great and, and uh, stuff, let's let's move on here to One Sided War, the album that came out in uh, the day before my birthday in 2016. Um, and you have Mariah Formica on there, who, uh, of course, just uh, did a run on The Voice. Um, where are we in terms of a new solo album? A new solo, okay, uh, back up. A new solo, solo album from who? For, well, from from you, like what? One side okay. of war is the lasso <laughs> album. Where where are we in terms of putting together a? I mean, okay, let me rephrase this. Is your focus on getting a new Striper album out first, or is the focus on getting a new Michael Sweet album, or is it? Do they sort of work in at the same time? Where well, are we? In, it, it it's tough. It's tough, and, 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 and Striper is always going to be the priority, and as should as it should be. As long as I'm in Striper, 
it, it has to be the priority. That's, that's the band that, you know, opened the door for me to do what I do. And, uh, and, you know, obviously Striper has more fans and, you know, that it should be top of the list and it always will be. So whenever it's time to do a Striper album or Striper tour, everything else needs to be kind of set on the shelf until it can be gotten to. Um, the plan was I was going to go and do either a solo album or an album with Joel Holkstra or both. And Joel and I had been talking and have been, okay, let's talk, let's talk, let's do this. Let's figure this out. Let's write these songs. Let's get it, get it on paper. And it's been difficult to do that. I think because of our schedules, <clears throat> mine and Joel's, Joel's out with Trans Siberia now. He was with Cher. It, it makes it difficult when. <clears throat> and then he's got White Snake all of two eighteen. So it, 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 exactly. So, and Joel's been so gracious. He really has been because there have been many times when I haven't called him and. We haven't been able to talk and figure things out. And he's probably at times thought, oh, gosh, you know, this guy's a flake. I don't know. I hope not. But he's just a gracious guy and, and still wants to do this and wants to talk to me. And, and I love him for that. And um, one of the best people on the planet and players on the planet. So you're going to see an album from Joel and I at some point. It's just a matter of when and, and making it happen. And then there's the other side of being able to get enough money to do it. You know, when you're lowballed buy a label and they offer you, you know, $20,000 or 30,000 or 40,000 even, you know, that's just enough money to go and get it done. That's not enough money for everyone to, for their three months invested or two months invested to, to, you know, pay the mortgage and put a little money in their account, which is a necessity, you know, it, it has to be. So we got to find the right people who are going to put up the right money to make it happen. Uh, it, it might be Frontiers, you know, uh, with Joel. Uh, with the solo album, uh, I, I've been talking with Rat Pack and Joe O'Brien uh, about doing another one. I mean, it just worked out very well. Everything uh, worked together and made sense, and it, it makes perfect sense for us to do it again. Um and we've been talking about that. As a matter of fact, after our conversation here, uh, I have a, a conference call with Joe about the next solo album. Um, oh, perfect. So yeah, that's that's definitely on the books. And uh, you know, when I get to that, I might have to wait a little while and, and go in and record it. Uh, you know, like this time next year. You know, or a little earlier, maybe maybe October, maybe. Uh, maybe even September, but it's going to be a little while till I get that done. And it wouldn't be out until, uh, 2019, a uh, striper album's coming out in April of 18. So, there you, go. you know, what, four months away or so is not that long away. Um, it's killer. I'm singing that now. We mix that in three weeks, uh, turn it in by January 15th. Uh, it, it's, it's quite controversial. I mean, we've always been a little controversial just by doing what we do and, and being a, uh, a band comprised of Christians in a, in a, a evil satanic metal world. <laughs> That's right. I say, that, I say that sarcastically, but anyway, uh, we've always been different and, um, is therefore with that comes controversy. Uh, but this one's especially controversial, 
there's a lot of stuff on this album that's going to make people's eyes roll in a very good way and their heads spin in a, in a very good way. Um, and it, we can't wait for people to hear it, man. It's a killer album. Um, well, I'm we looking kinda... forward to hearing it, actually. And, and, and I have a title for you, just in case. Call it 668, <laughs> The Neighbor of the Beast. There you go. <laughs> 667 <laughs> would be The Neighbor of the Beast. But no, because it? he'd be across the street. The neighbor was on Oh, the... I got you. So right. it's odd number. It's even numbers. Okay, I get you. Right, because your neighbor, right? Your your neighbor like I'm I'm at <laughs> I'm at 27 and my neighbor to the right is 25 and my neighbor to the left is 29. So you ha- it has I to be I love it. Right? 668, the neighbor of the beast. <laughs> Dude, that is hilarious. That's actually really clever. But we'd probably I'm guessing that uh Maiden would would at the very least uh, laugh us out of the out of the ball field, you know? I doubt um, that they would have I mean Maiden, <laughs> Iron Maiden, uh, you know they 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 borrowed that from from religion or from you know it's not like they invented yeah. it. It's not, you know nobody can claim I think inventing six 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 or or yeah, or true. any. Uh, I, mean, I mean it's not what, what do you call it? It's public domain, I guess. If yeah, you start of course. getting all yeah. all lawyery on me, right? But, uh, but well, anyway. yeah, that's why I use I use scriptures from the Bible, and I never have to go anyone to get rights to do that. It's all public domain stuff right. and. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, but, you know, I, I will tell you this about the title. I, I can't tell you the title. I wish I could. Very soon I'll be able to tell everyone the title. But um, the title is a is a shocker. It's a, uh, it, it's a shocker. It's definitely a shocker. It, it rivals, but it, it even goes beyond to hell with the devil. Uh, and and it, it's, it's one of those things where when people hear it and read it, they all have the same comment. Our publicist, our, the label, management, anyone that we've sent it to and said, what do you think? They, they all come back with, are you freaking kidding me? You know, As long as you don't call it to hell with Mitch LaFon, I'm fine with whatever you call <laughs> <no>. it. <laughs> the, 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 the saying to hell is not even in there, but it's, it's very cool, man. And my brother threw it out like you know, maybe 10 years ago maybe even 15 years ago. And at the time, I just kind of shook my head. And even I thought, dude, that's, that's a little hardcore, man. That's, that's a little much. Uh, but, but now in 2017, going into 2018, I'm the one that re-suggested it to him. And I said, hey, dude, you know, remember that title? You know, blah, blah, blah. What do you think about that being the new title? And he goes, well, I... I, I yeah, you know, and, and we mentioned to Oz, and Oz was like, I love it, you know. So that's the title of the album, and there's a title track on it as well. Oh, good. There you go. And uh, you can keep 668 as the uh, Japanese bonus track, so there you go. But uh, Yeah, 668, the number of our <laughs> yeah, neighbor. Right. Is that no, it? No, the neighbor of the beast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm oh not just a gosh. rock reporter. I am a, a, a fantastic comedian at the same time. Um, there you go. <laughs> it, it might I be, love it. It might be the cold medicine that's making me loopy this morning, but there you go. Um, Whatever it is, I like it. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll end on that because I can, I can feel my, my lungs slowly caving in, which is <laughs> exciting on its own. And uh, I'll just say this to Joel Hoekstra, the, the fact that, there's a potential that you and Joel will make an album together, not just have Joel play guitar like he did on One Side of War, but be more of a collaboration. That, that to me, um, is great because he's such a nice guy, and he's so talented. That, that last album he made, um, what was it called, 13, I think it was? Yes. 
was so brilliant. And, oh, yeah. uh, and what he does in Trans-Siberian Orchestra and what he's brought to the White Snake catalog. I mean, there's just, and of course, the oh, rock yeah. of, I saw him do Rock of Ages on um, Broadway. The man is multi-talented, multifaceted, just, just wow. And so, yeah, um, he's ridiculous. And the thing about Joel, too, is he's a song oriented guy. Uh, I learned that when I had him play on One Sided War, I sent him three songs uh, radio, <clears throat> and uh, you, maybe you might have to help me with the songs here. He played on radio, he played on the ballad, and I can't think of the name of the ballad. Off the top of my head. Well, I've got it all uh, in front of me. We've got Bizarre, One-Sided War, Can't Take This Life, Radio, Golden Age, Only You, I Am, Who Am? Only You. Only You, okay. Uh, you Want to Make Me Comfort Zone, One Way Up, and Can't Take This And thing. One Way Up. Yeah, he played go. on those three. And, and when I sent those to him, I mean, Ethan did a brilliant job on all the songs he played on, too. Uh, but what, what really astonished me about uh, Joel is he took those songs which were good and joel said wow these are really good songs but then he 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 added the little hook ideas in the choruses and and all the little parts the little banjo part in the beginning of radio and we we used that throughout the song and all those little things that all of a sudden took the song from eight to ten you know and and, and added all those hooks and he's such a song oriented guy and and all about that and then when he plays a solo he just shreds he he plays for the song and bends one note beautifully but then he'll just throw out this you know and you're just going Who, where did this guy come from yeah. this is off the charts he's such a good guy and such a good writer and we're going to collaborate we're going to write all the stuff together and we're going to have some killer players we've already been talking to Todd uh, Sukerman who plays drums for Sticks uh, there's another great guy by the way i've met him a bunch of times he's so nice just another... he's so nice and one of the best drummers you'll ever see period. and and you should ask him if he can get uh lawrence gowan to come and do a duet or something because it would be like the nice guy festival right there if you had you i love joe. i love lawrence what a, what a great guy Sweetheart. what an amazing singer i love him but dude it's going to be great we're going to get a killer bass player uh i reached out to this guy who plays for aerosmith keys and sings um, and his name is totally slipping my mind right now, and I'm going to feel like a complete idiot. Maybe you can help me out. Um, oh, We're not Lord. talking Tom Hamilton, are we? No, 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 no. He plays keys and sings. He's a backup uh, keyboardist and a singer, and he's out with Aerosmith. Uh, oh, man. Now, anyway, yeah. I'm I'm spacing on that because uh, I'm terrible with names, especially at this time in the morning. Now, now you have Sweet and Lynch, though. Are you going to call it Sweet and Hoekstra? No. Okay. No, we're going to come up with a new name. We're going to come up with a band name. I wanted to come up with a band name for Sweet and Lynch, and I suggested some. And, you know, Frontiers was dead set on it being called Sweet and Lynch. So, well, you know, let, let, let me be fair to Frontiers. Probably not a bad move because you have two identifiable brands because Michael Sweet is a brand and George Lynch is a, it's a brand name. We know, we know what we're getting when you. You know, and if you had called it, you know, whatever, the Runaways or, or, or the, the what, we would have been like, who's that? And, and, you know, well, I mean, you're right. I, I agree. I think you're right on that. It's it just, you know, for some reason, there's some legitimacy that comes with the band name. And it's it just kind of that stamp Agreed. of, Agreed. you know, and that that's what we were thinking about. Like, OK, we'll be a band, you know, but it, maybe in today's time, since I, I'm getting some of the press I'm getting lately, maybe it should have been called Lynch Suite. 
perhaps. But, but you know what? Sweet and Lynch. What do you actually, think? I, no, I, I actually think that Sweet and Lynch is better just in the sense that it rolls off the tongue easier. You go Sweet and Lynch. It, you know, Lynch Sweet, it, it, it's, it's sort of jagged when you try to say that. Um, well, I'll, I'll tell you this. George and I were going back and forth in text messages about names. And some of the names, if, you, if, the, if the world could see or hear, it, 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 was, it was comedy, man. Dude, you'd use it for your comedy act for sure. We came up with some doozies. It was hilarious, and I wish we had gone with one in particular. But we would have we would have been banned from all all countries worldwide for sure. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, and uh, <laughs> uh, by the way, I'll, I didn't finish my thought on Joel Hoekstra. He would be a great producer because you're right. He does have this ability to make a song that you just offer a tweak that just makes the song much better, and, and that would be the job oh, of yeah. a producer. I think he'd be a great, great producer, but anyway. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, you know, uh, what we would probably do, we'd probably maybe even co-produce together, you know? Yeah. yeah, and that's, and I, I, that's, yeah. that's a possible thing, because <clears throat> I, you know, there's something, if I'm going to do an album with anybody, I'm, I'm certainly going to be involved in the production, at least to some degree, and there's just a certain format I have and a way of doing things that I've kind of you know, uh, cornered over the years. And to me, it's more about the sonic quality, you know, and a certain way things should sound. And sadly, some of the records I hear that come out on uh, some of these labels, and, you know, I, I won't name names, but you just kind of scratch your head thinking, gosh, who who produced that? Who did produce it? Because it's like, oh, it doesn't sound... Wow. Some of the songs are good and the playing's good, but some of the sounds are just not good. And uh, I'll leave it at that. Well, yeah, not and, and, not Joel though. Joel, yeah, Joel's phenomenal. No, Joel, and, and I'll Joel's just say awesome. this for the for some of those labels, it's it's about you know rack them up, stack them up, get it out the door. It's not about uh, producing because there's costs. And anyway, we know the the economics of it and producer. These days, unfortunately, ranks at the bottom. It's rack them up, stack them up, and out the door. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I know there's costs involved too, but it, even on low budget albums that have to be done quickly, uh, you can still. It's it's what's in the mind. It's it's what's swimming around the ideas and the talent that's upstairs. And you you either have that or you don't. And you know there are many guys that you know are producing albums and putting together albums that don't in my opinion and my opinion means nothing whatever uh but you know you got to have that it's it's such an important part of all this and um you know yeah there oh, you go i i fully agree anyway thank you sir we shall uh do this again uh in uh 2018 we will uh get the latest on the new striper and hopefully we will see you north of the border either in montreal or toronto or ottawa or somewhere because uh you know as, uh, anything uh, sweet is a is a good show, whether it's Sweet and Lynch or Striper or Hoekstra or whatever it is. It's I'm sure it's going to be great. So absolutely, man, and I can't wait uh, to do this Hulk, uh, Joel thing. Uh, he and I are excited, and I owe him a call, and we're going to get that on the calendar. And another solo album is coming. The new Striper album is coming in April. Uh, the Striper documentary is coming. Uh, we have a Striper acoustic album already in the, in the. Um, in the yeah, works. All already, uh, no, it's already done. Great. Yeah, it's done. Uh, 
so there's so much stuff happening, man. It's a, it's a little bit of a whirlwind. Uh, but, you know, it's exciting times. And we're going to go tour a lot next year. So definitely come and catch a show. Yeah, let's, 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 let's make sure that happens. And uh, always, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Okay, buddy. Have a good one, Mitch. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Take care, man. Bye-bye. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Rock Talk. Hey, Rock fans. Mitch LaFawn here from Rock Talk. Uh, let me talk to you about True Car. There is something about True Car that a lot of people don't know. Using True Car can also help you buy a used car. In fact, there are over 700,000 pre-owned vehicles available from True Car certified dealers nationwide right now. Whether you are looking to buy new or used, you can get upfront pricing information that empowers you, discounts off the list price for used cars, and offers a better buying experience through our True Car Certified Dealer Network. So let me emphasize that. There are over 700,000 pre-owned vehicles available from True Car Certified Dealers nationwide. You will see what other people pay for the car that you want so you know what the fair price is and can feel confident. With True Car, you can connect with a local certified dealer of your choosing so you can enjoy a quick, easy buying experience. Using True Car, you can also easily find the new or used car that you want. Again, once you register, you will see a real price on actual inventory. This is competitive pricing offered to you only by a True Car certified dealer from an actual vehicle in their lot. It's pricing you'll see before you going to the dealership so you can feel confident when you show up. True Car shows their customers all of the available incentives before they arrive at the dealership. And over 3 million cars have been sold to True Car users by True Car certified dealers nationwide. And there are over 13,000 True Car dealers nationwide or certified dealers nationwide. So there you go. Folks, if you're going to buy uh, a new car or a used car when you're ready to buy, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Now back to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Welcome back, and a big thank you to uh, Michael Sweet. Always, always a pleasure to talk to him. Uh, the second interview today is Stuart Smith of the band Heaven and Earth talking about their new album, Hard to Kill, as well as Richie Blackmore, uh, Richie Sambora, and the possibility of touring with Aerosmith in the future. But before I get to uh, Stuart and all that wonderful Heaven and Earth news, let me just finish our conversation with Mark Striegel talking about Kiss. We were, of course, discussing whether or not Kiss should make a new album. How should it be different if they make a new album? Uh, giving our thoughts, and we were talking about a new track. So I'm going to back up the tape about uh, five or six seconds to just to sort of resituate us. But uh, here is part two of my conversation with Mark Striegel talking Kiss. Your wish is my command. We know that there's... Uh unreleased demos in the vaults uh let, let's let's mine that stuff first before we do a full covers record just well, my my opinion well and i'll say this about the ace fraley record right i liked the idea when i first heard about it yeah. but the tracks that he chose just weren't 
Ace Frehley tracks. They just, you know, him doing Emerald or by Thin Lizzy or him doing uh, Joker by Steve Miller. Right. Especially since he's, you know, promoting sobriety. And the first thing is you're a toker, you're a smoker, you know, it's like, right. <laughs> really? I mean, <laughs> maybe. The, yeah. And, and the, it didn't work. I think, I think the Ace covers album could have worked if he had picked better songs. I just think the song choice was absolutely right. now was joker on on origins or was that on space invaders on uh space invader i'm trying to uh, think. i believe I it was on origins but either was way it okay all right yeah i don't have it in front of me but either way he shouldn't have covered that song i mean this is terrible right. song fox on the run yeah. that he did which was on um was it space invader but fox on the run worked that worked yeah. you know new york groove worked. 2000 man worked back in the day but oh right. emerald oh uh, yeah 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 right, um, no, i'm with you on that because, uh, you know, Kiss is, Paul says that he'd be willing to do something if it's different. What about, uh, since that we're in the Christmas season, what about a Kiss mm-hmm. Christmas album? I mean, Cheap Trick just did one. It's kind of fun. Twisted Sister did one. It, it sort of relaunched their career. Right. And maybe that's an exaggeration, but it certainly put them back in the spotlight. Helix has done one. So, I mean, heavy metal bands doing them is not completely out of the question. Limited yeah, market. Think- yeah, they do sell well usually too. Again, for me personally, a Christmas record isn't all that exciting. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I would get a kick out of it and it would definitely get some listens, but that's to me, that's not like a. I, I want a true Kiss record, you know, to come yeah. out in, in a covers record, a Christmas album. It doesn't feel like it's going to, you know, be a, yeah, a real I mean, true the, Kiss record. I'm just trying to sort of go with the spirit of Paul Stanley saying it had yeah. to be something different. How about this? You know, Kiss in 78, I guess it was, put out the four solo albums. How about an album that had 12 cuts, but uh, three from Paul, three from Gene, three from Eric, three from Tommy, and they go out and produce it themselves with their own guest players, and Mm -hmm. it's sort of a solo album, Kiss album, if that makes sense. I mean, Yeah, I like that. I like that idea. That that would be interesting. That would be fun. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Stylistically, uh, it could be anywhere. I mean, Paul could do a soul station kind of song, and Gene could do right. what Gene does, and Eric could, I don't know, Tommy could do a more metal song. Who knows? But uh, I don't know. If if different is what's going to get Kiss in the studio, then I don't know where we go. <laughs> yeah, and, and different to me, too, can be a, a scary word for a band like Kiss, because one thing I, I wouldn't want to get from them is... Uh, okay, this is this is different. It's not hard rock. You know, they come out with a, uh, an album. You know, that's all yeah, ballads or that's something. Right. Like I mean, stylistically different. Yeah, where they're doing the Cure or something. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, I, I do <laughs> think I do think if it is going to be uh, you know a Kiss album and not not a, a Gene Simmons album or a Paul Stanley album, it needs to still embrace the Kiss sound and and you know brand, if you will. We can't. We can't put out Kiss does, you know, country western music or, you know, something, you know, hip hop or something. I mean, obviously they wouldn't do that, but it needs to still be a hard rock record and Agreed. sound like a Kiss record. Agreed. If, if Kiss being different is them trying some different style of music that's, you know, just completely Kiss does you left too. Field. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, they, you know, and they've done that before, you know, with going back with The Elder or carnival of souls trying to trying to be something that maybe that maybe they weren't in their hearts so i i definitely do get a little scared when i hear that word 
different because like how what does he mean by how how different are we going to be is it going to be a different sound a different style because that that definitely scares me yeah and and you know what let's bottom line this i don't want uh, kiss to make a different album i just want kiss to make a kiss album and whatever it is it is i certainly can live without a covers album but if that's what they want to make i will buy it i can certainly live without a country and western kiss album if yeah. they want to put that out, I'll certainly check it out. But I would like just Tommy, Eric, uh, Gene, and Paul to get in there and just put together the best sort of 12 songs. And I say 12 songs. It's sort of a, you know, a yardstick. It's not really sure. up to, Just do what you do. Give me some anthemic rock, basically. And, uh, and so to bottom, bottom, bottom line it, I want another Kiss record. I don't think we're done. And I don't think I want to look back in 10 years and say... Hey, Monster was the last album they ever made, period, end of story. I don't think that we should, period, end of story, kiss just yet. Yeah, and if they were going to do a real big, high-profile, you know, this is it, the final tour, kind of like Motley Crue did, uh, it, it would make sense that they could put out a new record with that and get some mileage out, out of a new album financially. And I know, you know, hey, there's not much money to be made on albums anymore but like black sabbath did with 13 i do think that you know if this is truly the end let's let's uh let's do one more record and let's do and, yeah yeah absolutely. And, and and of course i'm always open for some extra live albums if they can sort of take up the animalized live uncensored and throw that out the audio out there and some yeah. other shows i'm sure there's a few reunion tour shows that are that were recorded that you could probably patchwork together into yeah, a nice a live five i guess at this point it would be the name or a live six right. <laughs> you know anyway we'll see um so you're in you're in for the one last album as well i guess right yes yeah, yeah definitely right. so definitely. Let, let's ask fans in the comments sections here to write what kind of album would they want do they want a covers album do they want country wrestling do they want christmas do they want you know bruce kulik to guess blah 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 let us know and there you have it folks my uh, conversation with mark striegel talking about a new kiss album and what we would like to see in a new kiss album please head over to the uh, rock talk facebook page send me a message or head over to twitter i have the uh, uh, direct messaging available and open so send me a message let me know what you think and uh, please check out uh, the mark and mitch show on youtube and check over at uh, mark's webpage talkingrock.net. but enough of kiss let us move on to the one and only guitarist Stuart smith of the band heaven and earth their new album is Hard to Kill, and so without further ado, here is Stuart Smith. We are speaking with Stuart Smith of the band Heaven and Earth. The new album is Hard to Kill. Uh, Stuart, a great, great pleasure to talk to you. You too, Mitch. So let's, let's talk about the band and, and talk about the new album. What I'm really sensing between this album and the last one, Dig, is that we've moved away from it sort of just being a studio project or a Stuart Smith project and more of an actual band. Is that how you would describe it, or am I a little bit off base with that? No, no. I, th I feel that uh, the, the last two albums, this one and the last one, have definitely been uh, more of a band, uh, which is what I've, I always wanted. When I did the first album, I, just, uh, I got offered a deal, but I didn't have a band. So, which is why I brought in people like Richie Sambora and Glenn Hughes and Jolyn Turner and uh, Kelly Hansen and all these guys because I just I didn't have a band. And uh, the second one, 
we did with Kelly Keeling. Um, and then, of course, the, the, the real third one was uh, Dig, which was the last one. And I felt that was, that was really much, of a, of a, much more of a band um, effort. But this one's a much, I, I agree with you, it's much more cohesive as a, as a band. Yeah, it really is. So, so is that sort of the plan moving forward is to you? Because yeah, there was a, a change. I think we moved uh, drummers over to um, this. Well, on the last, on the last album, Kenny, Kenny Arnoff played. But right, Kenny uh, came in uh, and uh, we had um, uh, Kenny Arnoff and Ty Bailey, uh, Lynn Sorensen and Joe Retter and I. Uh, but Kenny is, um, was contracted to John Fogarty, so for actually going out on touring, Kenny was out of the question. And then Kenny, uh, Ty got the offer from Katy Perry, um, and uh, of course the, the money was probably insane, so uh, he sort of went off on that tour. So we got uh, Steve Wilson on drums and Mike Mangan on um, keyboards for going out and touring. Now that 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 new touring band will that sort of become the band going forward, or do you want to come back in the next studio album and get Kenny and Mike back in? No, this is this this will be the this will be the 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 band for any future albums. Uh, hopefully, I mean you can just never tell in this business. That, that's the whole thing. I mean, when we had Heaven and Earth and we were back in uh, oh god two thousand time I think when we we started getting out with Kelly Hansen singing and uh, you know Kelly got the offer from Foreigner and couldn't you know couldn't turn it down I mean we were just starting to get traction uh, at the time and um, so uh, you, you know you can never you can never tell I mean with with um, hopefully I mean this this is well def- definitely this is the band that's going to the, the unit that we have now is going to be the one that we go out on tour with and uh, if everyone's still around when we get get there um, to the point of doing a new album, then that that will be the band that plays on it. That's great. Now, uh, now talk to me about the musical direction on this one. It is a solid, solid rock album. Um, is that sort of where you wanted to go musically? Just just be a rock band, or do you still see yourself open? to doing different styles? Well, we, we always do different styles. I mean, that was the whole purpose of Heaven and Earth. I mean, growing up, I'd, I used to love albums that, that would come out, I mean, you know, by, by Deep Purple, Zeppelin, and, uh, and even Jethro Tull and everything. It wouldn't be just, uh, just, ro- just rock. I mean, Zeppelin did uh, Do You Maker, which has first... Um, reggae-type feel to it. They did blues things on their album. Deep Purple did When a Blind Man Cries and also did a, uh, Anyone's Daughter, that sort of country and western-type thing on Fireball. So, but I used to love that. I used to love the diversity um, uh, of of the, the albums in that day. I tend to think that albums nowadays, people go out with, let's make a rock record, and it's all, it's all just one straight line. Uh, whereas we... Um, we're sort of pushing, um, uh, you know, different. Um, uh, so yeah, we're. I mean, I, I used to, I used to love that diversity. And when we did the first album, Pat, Pat Reagan, the producer, said, "You know, no one's, no one's going to buy this. It's, it's, it's too diverse." And every review that came up said, "We love that the diversity." So you are right. There's a lot more rock in this in this album, um, but uh, we we are really. It's it's sort of when we started this album, we probably had about twenty three songs uh, ideas, and we picked the ones that um, 
seemed to flow more naturally. Um, and it just happened that way. Of course, we've got LA Blues on there, which is still, it's still hard rock, but it's, it's a sort of a blues type bass song and um, beautiful monsters which has this sort of funk type uh beat to it but um other than that uh yeah you're right this is probably about the most hard rock album we've done so far but uh come to come another album i mean we might have uh, uh you know another classical piece on like we did on the last on the first one and the last one yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Now, now the first one was Heaven and Earth featuring Stuart Smith. Um, talk to me about some of the players you assembled for that one. Obviously, Richie Sambora was a brother-in-law, but working with Glenn Hughes, um, just masterful, one of the best in the business. And then, of course, Jolyn Turner, Steve Priest. Uh, just talk to me about that first album and assembling that cast of sort of characters. Well, I mean, I was... Uh, I got... Um uh, Samsung, the Korean electronics giant, opened up this company, and they had like six um, uh, deals for various uh, for artists, which uh, with, was through Pat Reagan. And at the time, I was playing in a band with Keith Emerson called the Aliens of Extraordinary Ability. And they came down and saw us, the the people from Samsung, along with um, Pat, and they they wanted to sign us. And we said, well, we can't. The idea at the time was. Um, it was just really it was a fun band um, I think we only had like one or two original songs the rest were sort of um, covers and ELP stuff and everything and it was it was put together because Keith was um, doing the ELP reunion tour with um, Jethro Tull and it was a warm-up for him, and at the time, uh, we were talking about getting uh, Sweet back together, even back then, and it was going to be myself, Steve Priest, um, Brian, T- uh, Brian Tucker, um, uh, Brian Connolly, and Mick Tucker. Um, but then, sadly, Brian died, and that's the sort of bottom fell out of that. Um, so, uh, anyway, we we had to turn that deal, that deal down, because that the aliens didn't have anything and uh then one night the guys from there was a, a there's a club in la called uh, the baked potato and every tuesday night they had this band called the screaming cocktail hour which i still think to this day is the greatest name for a band ever um and uh they uh it was uh al miracatani who sadly passed on now who was a great guitarist and singer and Teddy Andreas from Guns N' Roses, the keyboard player, and they would have this, it was in this tiny little place which probably held about 150 jam-packed, and every Tuesday night it was full of mu- musicians, and you'd get the biggest names, I mean, um, Paul Rogers came down one night, Steve Lukather was often down there, Slash had come down, um, and uh, Howard Lease, and it was just, it was an, it was an ama- uh, amazing sort of set up because they'd have they literally uh, I mean they could play anything a girl wanted to get up and do uh, I Want You Back by Michael Jackson and they did it without any rehearsal uh, amazingly um, so we'd have uh, I'd often go down and sit in with those guys and the night uh, and Teddy in fact was the first one to be signed to this Samsung deal um, so they 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 um I, I was I went down one night and I jammed and the guys from Samsung were down there because they'd signed Samsung and uh, they heard me play and then afterwards um, uh, they wanted to go for a, a drink somewhere else the place was closing I said well I'll come back to my house 
and uh, there, uh, <laughs> it's it was very funny because I stopped, I think, on the way back home to get uh, to to get a, a burger, and I was married to Colleen Locklear at the time. And they, so they arrived before me, and she had like the, at two in the morning these drunk Korean guys knocking on the door. Anyway, I arrived a minute later, and we we came in, and they listened to uh, the the songs I had, and they just said, "Well, look, we'll sign you to um, to to we'll sign you to Samsung and do what you, Teddy did, which is bring in a load of people." So I, uh, at the time, Richie being my brother-in-law, I called him and said, "Hey, would would you?" be willing to sing a couple of songs on the, on this solo album. He said, sing? No one ever asked me to sing, of course. And uh, and uh, when he when he turned up, he had a, his guitars with him. He said, well, the song's so good, I'd like to play some guitar on it. I said, fine with me. Um, my second call was from to Jolyn Turner. And, of course, after that, it was like a domino effect. Everybody, uh, once Richie was on it, and Jolyn, everyone sort of wanted to be part of it. So... Um, uh, I'd, I'd ran, I'd reconnected with Glenn Hughes because I knew him from years ago, and asked him to to do a track. In fact, there was a, that track originally we wanted Paul Rogers to do, uh, but Paul was on tour, and um, I gave it to. I said, Glenn, would uh, he said, would you do a track? And he said yes, and uh, and he heard that track. He said that's the one for me. So, he, and it turned out to be he did an amazing job, of course, um, as, as did everybody on the album. They did just. Uh, really top class performances um so that's how the first album happened and um uh well and in fact that's how that first album was sold to me i i was uh, talking to somebody back back in the day i think probably it was andrew mcneese over at melodic rock and he said oh you're a, you're a bon jovi fan there's there's richie sambora on this album you gotta get it and so i did buy it and i loved it it was just it was fabulous just really fabulous well thank you yeah, no. Um, let me talk to you quickly about Steve Priest's Suite. That's a, a mouthful there. But uh, 2018, uh, 2008, I should say, uh, up until now, but uh, up until 2012 for you. Um, talk to me about sort of reconstituting that band with, with Steve. Was there any trepidation knowing that you'd be using sort of that brand name to move forward? Or was it, hey, a gig's a gig? Um, just talk to me about sort of, your four years with Steve Priest and, and putting together that, that reformed suite? Well, Steve, when I, Steve Priest was the first person I met when I moved to L.A. in, in um, uh, 1986. Uh, a mutual friend said, uh, oh, I'm really good friends with Steve Priest. You should get in touch with him because I know he's thinking of putting a band together. And um, so I did. We met and we, we, we hit it off and uh, we started... Um, putting a band together but it was it was a real I don't know it was just a real weird time it was all the hair bands and everything and we could not for the life of us find the right singer I think we auditioned like something like 134 singers and it was just it, it we just could not find the right guy and uh, eventually that folded and then there was a plans to get it back together I think like I, I said in <clears throat> about 94 and then Brian died and uh, that sort of put a, a damper on it and then um, out of the blue, I mean, we'd, uh, I'd, I'd sort of put heaven and earth on hiatus because at the time, as I say, we'd lost, we'd lost Kelly uh, to Foreigner, and I, uh, we were trying to sort of work out who, where, where to, where to go from there. But, uh, and um, 
Steve called me and said, listen, I'm thinking of getting Sweet back together. Because um, he's, a, uh, I mean, he's the right to the name. And uh, he called me, and cause he knew I knew all the musicians. So first thing I did is I, I got, took Steve down to see Joe play. He was playing in a, a Queen tribute band at the time. And, uh, of course, Steve loved him, and we got Joe. And uh, I was already involved with Richie Onori. Um, and then so we brought in uh, Stevie Stewart on keyboards, and that's how it happened. And it, it was just it was the right time. There was the whole nostalgia thing going on where all these bands were getting back together because um, for the festivals and that kind of thing. So uh, it took off, and we were working really hard. And we, uh, I mean, we were working very constantly. Um, but it's something that sort of I I put I did the work putting it all together, and I, at the time I was managing and booking it as well, which was a real strain. And the minute uh, we got an agent, it, it sort of it dropped off because the agent didn't do a damn thing, um, which was amazing for me that they couldn't get this together. Um, so I, I took over over again, and uh, we got out and playing. But um, uh, by like you say, 2008, I'd sort of, uh, um, we had a, a deal offered to us by Bruce Quarto, uh, to, who's the head of our record company, uh, to do, do a, a new suite album. We had a meeting and, uh, um, everyone was into it. And, um, I said to Steve Priest, well, you know, you're going to have to commit to coming over to, to the studio, uh, at least four times a week. And I guess that put him off. So by the time I got home, the management had called and said, Steve doesn't want to do it. And I told Bruce, and he said, well, why do you do another Heaven and Earth album? I'd much prefer it if you did. Um, so we did. And that, that album was Dig. Which was a great album, by the way. Was it, was it strange, though, at the time being in Sweet, knowing that there had been these different versions of the band? Did that ever come up in, in conversation that, you know, hey, listen, there's an Andy Scott version and there used to be a Brian Connolly version. And of course, there was the original version. Um, was that something that was ever discussed? And, and did it ever give Steve pause for thought and say, OK, why don't we just call it, you know, the Steve Priest Project or why don't we just give it a whole new name? Not really, because at the time, Brian Connolly's had, had passed away. So that wasn't there. The Andy Scott um had his version in Europe, but they weren't really doing much. Um, and uh, Steve has the, the as much. In fact, he was he was in the band before Andy Scott, so he he's he had as much claim to the name. He just hadn't done anything with it, um, and uh, he was one of the founding members. Um, so we didn't feel that it was. Uh, so, shall we say? Poaching. I mean, it, as far as we were concerned, it was sweet, um, and we we did label it. You know, Steve was the main the main guy, the guy that did all the interviews and everything else, really. But um, uh, it, it wasn't like we felt we were cashing in because the band we were true to the music. We, you know, there's a lot of bands out there right now that have just one original member, or so in some cases, no original members. Which does happen quite a bit. Um, Richie Blackmore, uh, famed guitarist, of course, Rainbow and others. Um, he he helped you out when you were in the Mirage. He would sit in with you. Talk about uh, Richie and sort of what he's brought to you personally, but also what he's brought to you professionally. Um, there's so much. 
that Richie brought to me. I mean, when I was when I was I started playing guitar about eight years old, classical. I had really no interest in rock music, and um, my father was a jet fighter pilot uh, in the RAF. And um, when uh, some friends on the on the in the on the RAF base said, "Hey, um, we've got a couple of t- uh, spare tickets uh, to this concert. Does your son want to go?" And I was like, "Not really." And they just said, "Go on, give us some peace." So. I, I went, and I was pretty bored all day, and then they introduced the final act, which was Deep Purple. It was right at the time of In Rock. And I went right down the front, and suddenly this guy in black just comes running forward, playing these incredible classical runs with so much emotion and feeling and volume. I mean, they were loud, and it just it blew my mind. And that's what turned me on to rock and roll. And... Um, it uh, and I I'd, whenever I go and see Deep Purple whenever they played, I mean they were just for me just the I I loved all the other bands like, like Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, and everything else around that era. But Purple for, for me were the the best. They were all just this group of virtuosos who could just put on a show that was amazing. And um, uh, so that uh, then when I was about nineteen, uh, Richie and I met. And we had a lot of a lot in common, apart from just classical training. Um, and we became really good friends. And he sort of mentored me, uh, it, not so much in the in the way that um, <coughs> I mean, if there's something that I I, I I'd hear him do, I'd say, "Hey, how do you do that?" I was remember I sat in his kitchen once and. He was walking around playing the acoustic, and he just pulled off this run. I went, how the hell do you do that? And he just looked at me out the corner of his eye and went practice and walked on. Well, that is the key to success, right? Um, let's just get back uh, quickly here to, to Heart to Kill before we run out of time. Joe Retta, the vocalist, um, for, for many an unknown commodity, but when you listen to the album, his vocals are soaring. I mean, he's he's just spot on. Um, talk to me about getting Joe in the band, you know, because you, you you did have those other singers, but now you have this really good, strong front man. And just what does he bring in terms of vocals to the uh, to the project? Well, Joe's. I mean, I I met Joe from just jamming around LA at the time, and always thought he was great, great singer. Um, and then um, uh, when we formed uh, when we were, Steve Priest reformed Sweet, I, he was the first one that I suggested to Steve, and we, we worked in that together. And we wanted to do new material, um, and uh, Steve obviously didn't. And so it was it was a natural move for me to take him over to heaven and earth when I got the deal with uh, Bruce Quarto for for, for Dig. And uh, I mean, it, just on a personal, I mean, I think Joe, Joe is probably the best singer out there to, in rock today. Certainly, the best unknown unknown rock singer. Well, he, he he's definitely got a great set of pipes. And then uh, let's finish this with with this. Uh, just talk to me about the challenges of getting a band like Heaven and Earth out to the public, out on tour, getting people to know the name and and buy the albums and checking out shows because it's 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 a difficult marketplace. Yeah, it's very difficult. I mean, it's um, there's. You, you know, it, it's a it's a huge catch twenty two situation. It's like uh, I, I was just I was 
went out shooting at the range with Stephen Tyler the other day, and um, uh, and the, they, at the range they play, the, the Ranger Up Masters, a friend of mine, and they were playing. They always play really good classic rock there, and uh, they were playing some Heaven and Earth. And Stephen came over while I was talking to the Ranger Master, and he said, "You know, Stuart, the only thing wrong with your band is you need exposure." And it's just it's so the hard because. You see, terrestrial radio won't play... They won't play anything by Aerosmith, new. Or the Stones or anybody else, or Deep Purple. They won't play anything. Um, they, just, they just get the same 200 songs and rotate them ad nauseum. And it just go, it goes on. I mean, I, you know, I, I, love, I love Hotel California, but you, you hear this 10 times a day on... We've got KLOS out here. And they, they, they don't get it. They, don't, they think that our, our generation just wants to hear the old things when we would love to hear some new stuff by the, by established bands and also some bands that they th that are in that making music and there's a lot of good bands out there you've got sons of apollo who are making great oh yeah, that's a great album by the way yeah i mean they're making great melodic hard rock which is is, is classic this cla classic new classic rock i call it and but radio won't play it so if radio won't play it then you've got you, you you can't get on a tour because Live Na Live Nation is the one that owns all the has the monopoly on that and they put the whole these packages and the same old packages sort of rotated around. You've got Four and Six Night Ranger, and instead of putting that third act on, which really is probably only going to bring in 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 maybe fifty to a hundred people that weren't all already going for the other bands anyway, if they were they're, they're, if they were seeding the 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 ground for the future. What they do is put on uh, this bands like us and for, and and Sons of Apollo for and the, the like for for these tours. So after a couple of big tours, they can move the bands up in the in the chain. So they'd be the second on the bill. But they're not doing that. They're just it, it's and it, it's so. And I well, the, I, I I'll tell you, I don't understand. Why? Well, the strategy some seems somewhat finite because if you don't start cultivating some of the new acts, in 10 or 15 years, the classic acts are going to be retired. So you're not going to have – there's going to be a just this giant void of nothingness. And so now sort of the time to groom new bands and get them in there. And, you know, that's, that's one thing that I have – you know, when you look at a Sirius XM, they have a Hair Nation thing, and they play, like you said, the same 10 songs over and over and over again. They should take an hour or a Saturday night and say, here are the best new classic songs from, you know, the new Bon Jovi album, the new Heaven and Earth, and the new... But they don't, and that that's disappointing. But luckily, <laughs> I'll say this for my own thing, what I like to do on my interviews is, Every show, I want to feature a band like Heaven and Earth, like Sons of Apollo, and just say, hey, folks, there is new music out there, and there is hope for us rock fans that it's not just going to be Hotel California until we all pass away. And uh, Yeah, and I mean, that, it's, that's, that's, I mean, it's great that the guys like you and Andrew McNeese are keeping, keeping this genre alive because, I mean, terrestrial radio and Live Nation are destroying it. Um, because you're right. Eventually, these bands are going to the the key members are going to either pass on or they or they go, they're just going to retire, and there's going to be they haven't seeded the ground for future uh, bands. No, I mean, and, and, and let's let, let's be honest the the clock is ticking on Kiss 
Aerosmith, Journey, Styx. I mean, all those bands are probably down to their last 10 years. And that's not because they're no good. It's just because age will catch up with them. And uh, yeah. who's going to be there in, in year 11? Yeah, it's very short-sighted of them because classic rock is still the biggest, sells out the biggest um, festivals and everything else. And they, if they... If they got more into the business of, of stopped just trying to grab every dollar that's out there and say, all right, we've got to look for the future and started putting these bands on. You'd get, because it's, it's incredibly hard to get, to get a band out there unless you have a, unless you have exposure where you can bring people in. Um, and without radio, um, I mean, the, the only other options is, is you can just push to try and get your music licensed on in a in a movie. If you can have it, that's a that's a, a sort of workaround. But if you can get into your, your license, uh, music license in say the new Bond movie or some blockbuster, you, then you would be taken on a tour. Um, but it's expensive. It's incredibly expensive to go out and tour with. Um, plane flights now and and equipment and and, and even trucks and crews so uh, hotels so to it's it's you know but it's we're not going to give up i mean the, i i haven't in all these years i don't intend to now and um it's it's a it's just it's just a matter of getting that expo that exposure to that one one what what Richie Blackmore used to say to me was that the missing jigsaw piece. He said when they brought out Machine Head, um, and everything was singles driven in the states at the time. They were huge in Europe, but they they couldn't they couldn't get get arrested in the states. And they brought out Machine Head, and of course it was huge all over Europe. But in the states, it sort of died died within a few weeks, and then some de and they released the record company. Uh, released never before as a single, um, and that died. And then all of a sudden, you uh, some DJ, uh, uh, which is the one uh, in I think Oklahoma at three o'clock in the morning, played it and said, eh, "So, so, so, what's on the B side?" And it was "Smoke on the Water." Of course, six weeks later, you look at thirty million albums being sold, and they were right on top of the Billboard charts. Um, so Richie always calls that the missing jigsaw. That DJ was the missing jigsaw piece. So we're still searching for that. We're um, we're getting out and playing, and uh, and we're having a great time doing it. Um, it's it's just uh, we're looking for that one break that for the right break. The and right. Uh, I think with this album, we've got it's a strong enough album, and we've got enough songs on there that something will happen. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, while you're out there with us, Stephen Tyler, maybe throw in a hint that uh, being on an Aerosmith tour would be a good thing. And uh... <laughs> you don't think I have? <laughs> yeah. And and while you're there, uh, mention that an interview with me would be an other great idea. Two good ideas for him to work on. But uh, Stuart, a great pleasure. And you know, hard to kill. Uh, and, and I and I don't mean this uh, in a disparaging way. It was a very surprising album. I put it on and. You know, I, I, I didn't have much background other than the first album. And, and it just, it sucks you in. It is really, really a strong, strong album. It, it, it is great. Just great. Well, well, a lot of it we've got to thank Bruce Cordo, for, uh, the head of our record company, for, because he said, he's always said, look, I, I, I want you to, do the, to bring out the best album you can possibly bring out. And he said, if you go in the studio, and, but you think you can do it better, go in and do it again. 
uh, I don't care what it costs, but I want you to bring it, which is a, it was a dangerous thing to say to musicians cause, like us, because you're never happy. I mean, I still, I still listen to Dig and Hard to Kill and go, oh, if I'd have just done this on this one note on that solo, it, it, it wouldn't have sold one more, more al- album, but, you know, you, you're never really, uh, if you're a perfectionist in your music and you're, you're passionate about it, you're never really happy a hundred percent, but certainly hard to kill is is the closest I've got to. Uh, I think where I, I'm very, I'm very happy about it, and uh, and as I say, it's thanks to Bruce Quarto and his belief in the band. Because after after the dig and then and that not breaking breaking the band and doing a tour of Europe, I mean I wouldn't have been surprised if he'd have said, look guys, we did our best, but he said no. Nope. We're going to do another album, and we're going to make this damn thing happen. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you've got a song on there called The uh, The Game Has Changed, and I think this album is a game-changer for the band. Uh, Stuart, a great pleasure. Yeah, that, that, funnily enough, that came from Bruce, because as well as being the head of my record company, he's my best friend, and we, we talk at night for like 40, 40 minutes an hour every day just to sort of uh, go over ideas and this kind of thing, and... And he he just came up with a phrase. He said, "Yeah, it's just it, it's we've got to find a way to get this to the public because the game has changed." And I said, "You know, that's a great title." So I gave it to Joe, and uh, and he he and Bruce threw in a few lines and uh, that he sort of felt were relevant, and so we made it happen that way. Um, and it, and, and it there, there you are. There you are. Thank you, Stuart. A great pleasure. You too, Mitch. Cheers. Cheers. Bye bye. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. A very big thank you to guitarist Stuart Smith. Let us move over to our final, final interview of today. Jam-packed Christmas episode. Uh, my gift to you. Plenty to, uh, to digest. But uh, guitarist Stacy Blades. New album is Electric Radio Kings. We talk about that. And, yes, 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 we delve into the controversial topic of Bobby Blotzer's Rat. It's, listen, it's really not that controversial. Should the band have been touring as Rat? Uh, my opinion, solely my opinion, no. They shouldn't have. Should Bobby be touring with Stacy and everybody else and, and bringing the songs to the fans? Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, we all get up in the morning and head out uh, to work for a paycheck and to, to make sure that we can pay the rent and pay the for the family and this and that. And, of course, Bobby has that right as much as anybody else. And he was a part of those songs in that era. Uh, Is it Rat? My opinion. My opinion. No. Uh, Should he be out in the clubs with uh, Stacey and the other guys, uh, you know, bringing around and around to the fence? Sure. Why not? Why not? Just just don't call it Rat. Uh, You know, the Bobby uh, Blotzer experience, I think it was called, that that toured for a bit, that's, that's awesome. Let's do that. Uh, let's let's keep it at that. That 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 I can work with. You know why not? Uh, anyway, so we talk about that. We also talk about what happened in L.A. Guns. Uh, Stacy had been there for uh, you know number of years, and then suddenly he wasn't. And fans wonder what the heck. And so he, he explains in detail what happened. Uh, so there you go. So without further ado, uh, Canadian boy, I believe from Calgary. Um, home of the uh, Calgary Flames for for you hockey aficionados, uh, the one, the only guitarist Stacy 
Blades. We are speaking with guitarist Stacy Blades. Some of you might remember him from L.A. Guns, but now he's got a new band, Electric Radio Kings. Uh, pleasure to speak with you, Stace. It's been a while. It's, yeah, it's been. We go back a ways. Uh, boy, time flies, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. And just on the top here, I want to just thank you for something. Back in 2013, um, mm -hmm. I put together this Kiss tribute to raise money for a palliative care home where my uh, father-in-law had passed away, and you were kind enough to play guitar uh, on a, uh, some of the tracks, but include. But the best one there is the Master and the Slave. Ah, uh, uh, yes, of course, Master and the Slave. That was uh, that was wild. Yeah, and 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 you know, I don't want to. You know, I don't want to disparage the other tracks on that album, but that version of Master and Slave with, with Phil Lewis and yourself, it's just the ultimate version of that song. If you want, like, a dirty, sleazy rock and roll song, you go get Phil Lewis, and he took that song and he just made it his own. Anyway, just but, but thank you for, for having participated. That was a really cool experience, and my pleasure, Mitch. Uh, I, um, remembering now, we did that over at Adam Hamilton's studio. Correct. Uh, in uh, L.A., and uh, I had never heard that Kiss song, um, so that was it was cool, a really cool track. So, not knowing that song, and then going in and recording it, and uh, it came out great. I re do remember now that uh, you jogged my memory on that. So, yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, it, sounds, <clears throat> it really does sound great. But uh, let's talk Electric Radio Kings, yeah, new band, of yeah. course. Awesome. With uh, Paul Christiana, if that's how yes. you say it, uh, uh -huh. Johnny Rude, yeah. and Del yeah. Cheetah. Um, Keith Horn on uh, uh, oh right, uh, second, right. Guitar. second yeah. guitar, correct? Yeah. Right. yeah, little details matter. Um, talk to me <laughs> about this new band because listen, you 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 have bounced around. You you did the mm -hmm. L.A. Guns thing, you did the yep. Bobby Blondes mm -hmm. Rad thing. Yeah, yeah. But now you're saying to everyone, okay, enough's enough. I'm not a hired gun. This is my band. These are my song. These are our songs. Yeah, they're everybody's in the bands. But talk to me about that and then getting a band off the ground. Yeah, you know, uh, press to rewind a little bit going uh, four years back, uh, how Paul and I actually met. Um, he is from New Orleans, um, spent some time in Minnesota and Texas. He uh, kind of grew up with all the Pantera guys and King's X guys um, and played the circuit. He was doing an uh, EP, and his entertainment lawyer had contacted Andy Johns, <clears throat> Uh, those of you who don't know who Andy Jones is, uh, legendary uh, producer since passed away in uh, yeah. 2013, uh, did Zeppelin, Stones, Van Halen, Rod Stewart, Eddie Money, Cinderella. Uh, I did uh, three, you know, we did three, three or four records with him in L.A. Guns. Um, so uh, he had contacted Andy. Andy said, yes, I'll produce it on one uh, caveat that Stacy plays guitar on it. And that's how Paul and I met. I always thought that was really cool of Andy to do that. Um, <clears throat> and Paul and I really, you know, hit it off really well. And um, I just fell in love with his voice right away. And, and, you know, we kind of felt each other out. We recorded four songs. And then we were, uh, he went back to New Orleans for like a month. And then we reconvened, I think it was a month or maybe, maybe little bit longer to record another four songs and I remember going to the studio and Annette Andy's wife had called and said Andy's not feeling well I'm taking him to the hospital and we were like oh um okay you know I, I hope he's okay and we just thought oh well he'll be out of the hospital in a day or so and 
you know, back in the studio working and, and 10 days later he passed away. He was gone that quick. So, uh, you know, we were all just gutted and, um, um, as the years went by, I was doing different projects, but Paul and I kept in touch with each other. So he reached out to me in, I think it was June, uh, May or June, and he wanted to put something together. And normally what we would do, Mitch, is I would go out to, uh, well, I'm living in Vegas now, um, have been for four years, but. And by the way, go Vegas nights, the Golden yes. Knights, right? Yes. It's, it's becoming a real city. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and of course, get a have- football team too. Right, the the Vegas Raiders or whatever it's going to yeah, be. Yeah, 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 busting. <laughs> but Golden Knights is awesome. A, a great, fun, fun, fun club to follow. But anyway, go back to your story. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, normally we would record in L.A. Uh, at Unison Studios uh, with a guy named Bruce Wicken. And Bruce is actually in the Hollywood Vampires. He's uh, Johnny Depp's buddy, grew up with Johnny. And uh, um, he engineered all the L.A. Guns records I did. Uh, with a band with Andy Johns. So we called them the dream team, uh, Bruce and Andy. Um, but anyway, so I, so I said to Paul, I said, let's come out, let's have you come out to Vegas. Let me put some guys together and we'll go to Desert Moon Studios, which is owned by Danny Coker from Counting Cars. Beautiful studio, awesome place. Um, so that's what we did. And, you know, when Paul and I started writing together, we have a great writing relationship and very amazing chemistry and we just started writing all these incredible songs and coming together really quickly and it was very different musically um, uh, it kind of had almost the best elements of 70s 80s 90s and 2000s um, and uh, the, we hired a guy named AJ St. James to produce the EP and AJ is uh, another Canadian guy actually from Toronto and uh, he had just done James Durbin's record. It's James Durbin from American Idol. And, and Quiet uh, Riot. Yeah. <laughs> he did ma- maps of Hollywood stars. Uh, scars, sorry. Yes. Um, with, uh, and that, if you listen to the production on that, it's amazing. So when I heard that, and I, I'd met AJ through Johnny. Johnny's another Canadian boy from Toronto. Um, he, Johnny was like, you got to use AJ, man. And I, you know, once we started recording with AJ, he was just such a cutting edge producer with the latest technology and the guys are just a pro tool whiz. And it was really unique recording experience, um, to use all this, you know, cutting edge technology. And, um, and, and if you listen to the songs, I mean, the, the produ- everybody says, wow, the production is so awesome. So uh, I'm really excited because it's a kind of it's a new approach uh, to anything I've done in the past. So it's kind of got a modern vibe, but it does have elements of like, you know, Stone Temple Pilots and, and Guns N' Roses and Cheap Trick and a little Foo Fighters. So I kind of combined all of those great elements. Uh, if, if anyone was to ask, well, Stace described Electric Radio Kings, and I, I would kind of say... You know, GNR, Velvet Revolver, STP, and Foo Fighters had a baby. You know, it, <laughs> it would be uh, Electric Radio Kings. Yeah, and, and now in terms of the plans moving forward, because this is just an EP, yeah. as we move into 2018, do you see yourself doing like a Pledge Music campaign, doing a full <laughs> album, or just sort of getting out there touring and sort of getting people to know who you are in terms of um, the band? Yes, probably all of that. Uh, we're going to probably record more songs. Um, here's a here's a cool thing, Mitch, is that AJ is really up on um, just the business aspect of how uh, music works now. 
it, things have really changed. It really opened up my eyes to to how uh, things have really. It's almost like user friendly for the musician now. The business um, there's all of these wonderful media companies like Motion Media and all RZ Music, TuneCore, all of these great companies um, that for a certain amount of money they have these you know media packages where they'll do all your PR stuff. They'll get you know your your music out to to millions of listeners uh, through all uh, you know. Um, Spotify and all of those uh, streaming sites. And uh, so it kind of gets the ball rolling. And, you know, of course, you've got a lot of work to do to getting thing, any, anything off the ground as well, as you know. Uh, uh, but that's kind of the, the uh, what we want to do is we want to establish markets. And uh, we've already got uh, some great radio play in Iowa, uh, Minnesota, uh, Pennsylvania. And the band, there's there's a great buzz going on with the band because I I think what is I feel the the songs are very very strong and Paul's got a, a very unique, uh, amazing voice. I, I always say, you know, he's a perfect combination of like Ian Asbury and Scott Weiland, um, and uh, we're really all very excited to, to to especially December 8th we're debuting the band here in Las Vegas uh, for our EP release party. Um, but what, I'm working on other shows in other states uh, as well. So um, we're just going to kind of take it like that and, and really get uh, the band well known in certain markets through uh, you know media sources, and um, that's that's the plan right now. But um, uh, a lot of great people helping us out along the way. So uh, I'm super excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited too uh, <laughs> because I really loved your playing with with L.A. Guns, and and I, I do want to talk about L.A. Guns first, sure. but. But before that, let me let's just get this elephant out of the room here. The yeah. uh, you, you spend some time with Bobby Blotzer's Rat, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and to be fair, when you go to YouTube and you watch the videos, the band sounded absolutely killer. I mean, you you, you yeah. can't. Yeah. But you know, it's not Stephen Piercy, and it's not right. okay. We get it. We get mm-hmm. it. Doesn't take away from the fact that the singer sounded great and the band sounded yeah. great. Um, but but talk to me about that situation uh, and going into it because you sort of. You sort of knew that from what was going to be posted online and on Twitter and all yeah. that, the people were going to start attacking and start being... Of course. But you went ahead and did it anyway. So just, just quickly talk to me about that time spent in Bobby's band. And, and yeah. is it still a band? I mean, I know there's been some, some legal maneuvers, but it, do, right. do you see yourself doing something with him down the road? Or is it been there, done that? And I mean, the door's open. I mean, he had major back surgery. Um, you know, he was kind of had told us all that this year's a bit of a wash with all the legal stuff. And, you know, he had major, major, major back surgery, uh, which which put him down for a while. Um, you know, so a wonderful experience. And, and if that were to, uh, uh, you know, present itself again, uh, it's a great band, uh, great guys in the band. And it was uh, it was a, t- a ton of fun. I mean, you know, my first show with the band was in front of thirty five thousand people at Sturgis. Um, so <laughs> there's nothing to complain about. Um, it was it was very surreal because, you know, he had called me um, in this in um, I think it was the beginning of August, and he was telling me what was going on. And he's like, I'm interested. I've been friends with very good friends with him for years. Very very good friends with Bobby, and. Um, you know, he, he had reached out to me and told me what was going on. And um, I said, well, let me think about it. 
Um, and then the following week, he texted me on a Monday. He's like, can you be on a plane on Wednesday, learn the whole set, and play, uh, you know, I think it was a Wednesday or Thursday or something like that. And I was like, oh, my God. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, i got to get to work. I'll see you in a couple of days. And no rehearsal. Two days to learn the entire set and the first gig. Like I said, it was in front of thirty-five thousand people. It was it was surreal. It was a trip. Yeah, it really um, was. But we had great shows, uh, you know, and playing with all my friends and Warren and uh, Firehouse and, and Brett Michaels, and uh, it was a you know wonderful experience. So uh, all good with that. Yeah. Yeah, and and I'll I'll just say this: I would love to see Bobby and that band continue. Uh, I do think that it should be under a different name, but that's a whole different thing. And because because musically it's very tight, and and everybody has the right to to earn a living, and so you know go for it and and you know yes. bring those yeah, songs yeah. to the people. Um, L.A. Guns, you 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 mm-hmm. start off with "Rip the Covers Off," which is a mm-hmm. covers album. Yeah, uh, great stuff. But I'm going to skip ahead of it though. But you but sure. you know nobody's fault. Uh, rock and roll outlaw. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you what a great introduction to sort of the new lineup at that time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I want to get to Tales from the Strip because, sure. <clears throat> you know, as a fan, we were sort of sitting back, sort of worried, like, oh, God, what's going to happen now? There's no Tracy, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and that album is great. Tales from the Strip is a great, great album. And that song, Vampire in particular, is one of the greatest hits L.A. Guns has ever done, or Phil in this case. Um, <laughs> talk to me about that album and knowing yeah. now that you're replacing a guy like Tracy and fans are, are you're under the microscope. Can you can you cut it? Yeah. yeah. And and then you came out with something that is a really strong album. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Mitch. Um, it was wow. What a wonderful time that was in the band. Uh, you know, I joined. Uh, it was right at the end of two thousand and three, and uh, I uh, we we set up a rehearsal, and I'd learned like uh, I think seven or eight songs. They told me to learn five, but I went ahead and I think I learned eight or nine. <laughs> that's just the way I am. Uh, and I came in, I kicked ass, and they were just like, oh, man, this guy's like really good. He's got his, you know, his stuff together. I almost did. I almost swore there, but I did. <laughs> uh, and I remember after five minutes, like Phil came over and he hugged me and I was like, I think I got the gig, you know. Um, so musically, it really gelled. So then Andy started coming in and... Uh, we started working on these, you know, our versions of these cover songs for the record. And then we went over to Europe, I think, for a month. So it was, you know, solidifying going on tour for a month worth of dates in Europe really brought us together as a band. And then I think we got, uh, I think we got back from that and recorded or we recorded before. I can't quite remember. Um, but it really made... <clears throat> The lineup solid, and I think it was a good way to, to ease into the band doing a cover record. So that remainder of that year, we started writing a lot, and I could tell there was something really cool brewing. I would go over to Ham Adams, and we would demo all these songs, and Phil and Steve would come over and we'd just build, 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 building all these great songs, and I was like, wow, wow, this is amazing. So when we started tracking and started doing pre-production, we all knew it was like we're here and about to make a, an amazing record. And then <clears throat> once we started in the studio, that's when the magic really happened. 
and, and that was just such a, a, a great time in the band and, and it was so cool to work with Andy on the original music and he just brought so much to that album and everybody just kicked ass on it, 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 it I you know I, I'll go spells where I won't listen to it for a long long time and then I'll go to my iTunes and, and I'll, I'll pop on a few tracks and go wow this record really just is amazing yeah it really is that, that <laughs> song Vampire is just fantastic um then, of course, you move on to Hollywood uh, forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to get to the, to the sort of the final part. In, mm-hmm. uh, what was it, 2012, in December of 2012, you say, all right, folks, I love L.A. Guns, but it's over. We, I got to move on. How difficult of a decision was that for you? And, and sort of what got you to that point where you just yeah. said, okay, I need a timeout. I just, it, it, timeout. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we hadn't stopped in about 18 months and uh, for the year prior, and we had just gone around the world, around the world, and just nonstop. And I was starting to burn out, and I was having some problems with my left leg, and I was having some 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 family problems. Uh, and I, I said, guys, I need a break. And they all kind of turned on me. And I was just like, wow, you know, it's like when you're when you're not enjoying what you're doing and then you're not getting along with everybody. It's just like, okay, well, there's my answer. And, you know, it it, kind of started, Mitch, when when we were starting to make the record, uh, Hollywood Forever. And um, I I couldn't listen to that record for a long time because it brought back a lot of bad memories. And when you're all recording at different times, it just starts getting compartmentalized and you start, you know, the, it, it kind of separates the band unity. Um, I mean, we left off on, on, on point terms and everything. everything's cool. But uh, at that time, um, I was just in a kind of a dark place, man. I was I was just so burned out and, and on top of everything that else was going on in my life. I'm just like, I, I'm done. I, I can't do it. I can't be around these people and I can't do this. I need a break. And I wasn't given the opportunity to sit down with everybody and work it out and have a break. It would have been nice to, uh, hey, Stace, what do you need? What, do you, what can we do to, to make you happy do you need a little bit of time off so none of that happened so it was just like a marriage you know Mitch it really was a marriage and it's like you sometimes you say things that get you know you can't take back or or you you know you have those fights that it's like it's like with your family you don't speak to your family for maybe you know if you have a bad fight with somebody in your family you don't speak to them for a couple of years and that's kind of how it was um, but it was a very difficult decision, and um, I, it, it, at bottom of my heart, I didn't really want to leave the band. I, I loved, to, to, you know, being part of the band and making the records and touring. Well, I'm so grateful for all that ten years. Uh, it was just a wonderful blessing. Uh, but when you start having contempt for each other and you're fighting, yeah, it's time to go at that point. But... You're giving each other dirty looks on stage. It's like, okay, maybe just stop for a little while, you know? And um, so that, that, that's kind of how that, that, uh, that ended that, up. That wrapped up. But, but I, I got to say, you, you definitely can be very, very proud of, of the time in the band because I saw a few shows, and, I, of course, I bought all the albums. 
And as a fan, I can't complain. The, you know, the band didn't get less good. And the band didn't get, you know, diluted. It really mm-hmm. was a good product and a good, and a, and a good live experience. And yeah, you're that's so too. a great part of that. And, uh, yeah, thank you. and that's what makes Electric Radio Kings uh, so much more special, I think, is the fact that this is your baby yeah. and uh, your vision. And uh, I'm very much looking forward <laughs> to it. And uh, yeah, thank you. You know, there you go. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, that's perfectly well said, Mitch, because I remember Paul and I talking on the phone. He's like, Dude, how cool is it going to be to watch this blossom because it's something that we started and you're not the, the replacement guy. And I was like, it was like an epiphany hearing that. And, and you know, it's I'm grateful for the career I've had. I've always been that guy to step into a well-established band as that replacement guy. Uh, and I, you know what? I wouldn't have traded for the world, but to have something that's your baby and watch a blossom that you craft and create and record and go out and play, uh, there's it's really a special feeling. Yeah, it really is. And if fans out there listening want to uh, blossom along with the band, there is a <laughs> Facebook page. It is to look up Electric Radio Kings on Facebook, yeah. and you shall find it. Stacy, always a yeah. uh, a pleasure. And again, thank you for doing Master and the Slave yes. in two thousand. Uh, Yes, absolutely. I, I love that version. I made um, and I'll just finish on this. I made a playlist the other day, and I put a whole, and I had to throw that song in there. You know, along the Metallicas and the Aerosmith and whatever else I threw in that. It's just such a great version. And uh, again, thank you for that. And, yeah, uh, yes, thank you. And of course, best of luck with uh, Electric Radio Kings. Always, yeah, I want, always. I want to plug our first single too. Uh, yeah, go ahead, <laughs> plug, plug away. Yes, uh, uh, grabbing at a distant star is our first single, which dropped. Uh, uh, last week or is it this yeah last week and it's on spotify itunes amazon music uh apple music uh, napster all of those streaming sites so we're getting a great uh reaction from the song so it's, it's a really cool tune yeah it's a cool it's a cool rock tune and uh, there you go thank you sir thank you bitch have a good one yeah stay warm oh, all right yeah. pals cheers all right, all right. Download new episodes of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn every Monday at Podcast One and on the Podcast One app. Or you can subscribe at iTunes. And don't forget to rate, review, 